Well, welcome back to the Think Education podcast. Uh, Judith and myself today back with a guest. So we're, we're moving away from individual conversations just between the two of us. Uh, back to a bit more diversity, which I guess will be part of our, our conversation today. And um, Judith will, of course, uh, give the full and formal um, welcome to our guest, Mark Garrett. But as I started to read a little bit about Mark's bio, I thought, oh, great, we've got, we've got all this vast UK experience. Oh, right, that's interesting, that's interesting. And I got to about the third paragraph and saw Swansea. And then I thought, ah, there we are. We're back to, <laughs> we're back to Judith's... Uh, um, old uh, old tricks. So um, it's a pleasure to have uh, to have Mark with us. Um, and uh, once again, um, Judith has uh, has built up her uh, local advantage. Um, I'm going to have to bring on some Dubai guests, I think, soon, just to, to balance. But uh, over to you, Judith, for the for the formal uh, welcome to our, our guest today, please. Thank you very much, Chris. You've stolen my thunder at the end of that first paragraph. Thank you. But anyway, Mark, Mark Garrett is joining us today. And I'm really delighted to be able to introduce um, Mark. Uh, he's got a massive amount of experience across a number of different sectors, um, actually. Uh, at present, Mark's Executive Director of Marketing Communications and Recruitment at Anglia Ruskin University. And it's got a very large portfolio there. It's responsible for not only student recruitment and admissions, but marketing, communications, brand and advancement uh, as well. So it's a huge, huge role, lots of different responsibilities all connecting, I guess, across each other. Um, prior to joining um, AIU, uh, um, Mark held um, a number of director roles at City University uh, London, University of West London, University of Bradford, University of Law, and, drumroll please, yes, you know now, Swansea University. He's a member of the Wales Club, and we're proud of it, we're proud of it. Before joining the higher education sector, though, Mark worked in senior roles uh, in a variety of high-profile organisations, such as the Royal Bank of Scotland, British Airways, Yellow Pages, Royal and Sun Alliance, and was instrumental, and I didn't know this, Mark, in launching Confuse.com. We might have to touch on that a little bit later, but very apt, given usually what Chris and I end up talking about, that you are here to help us out with Confuse.com. He's uh, got a number of different um, roles as well, uh, and non-exec roles too, other types of roles. He's chair of... Um, University Centre Leeds and Case Europe uh, University's Marketing Forum. He's also a campaigner for equality, diversity and inclusivity, something that's also very close to my own heart, um, and is an ambassador for AWLO, the African Women in Leadership Organisation, and the White Ribbon uh, Campaign. So welcome, Mark. We're really delighted that you can be uh, with us today and... Uh, and yes, well, hello. So really pleased that you're here with us today. And I wonder if I could just kickstart with a quick, with a with a with a question, um, particularly focusing on student recruitment, if I may. And diversification really seems to be uh, the word of the moment. It's probably certainly in my in my work environment, but also in other environments that I'm in. It seems to be mentioned all the time, you know. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts are on the whole topic of diversification when it comes in comes to student recruitment. 
Well, thank you very much for that warm welcome, uh, Professor Lamy. Uh, I'll give you the, the, the dutiful deference, and um, it's, it's a pleasure being here. Yeah, d diversity, diversification, uh, and certainly the university I'm at now, is, is a bit, yeah, language like inclusivity are, are really important. And I think uh, the risk of starting outside of education, I think the young, certainly the young people of today, which we're training for the future, Generation Z and certainly Generation Alpha, the data we're getting around this is that um, they're much more campaigning than the likes of us. Yeah, um, I mean, I see it with my 16-year-old son now, who's doing his doing his A-levels. You know, if ever if ever he sees me be opinionated about something, he, he'll he'll call me to account. And I think I think I think the the whole concept is not really a concept anymore. It's how young people are living their lives, and they. You see it in many ways. People campaign, they protest, um, and I think it's important that we reflect that in the experience we give to our students in higher education. So, the ability to engage with people from all backgrounds, you know, all persuasions. Um, you know, I had a again, I got a conversation with my son the day about about Andrew Tate, for instance, and thankfully he had the right answer about that that guy's an individual and how we tackle things like misogyny how we tackle racism, how we tackle homophobia. And I think, I think that, is, that is the concept of, of, of diversification inclusivity is one I think that can really then translate into our, our business, if you like. And so the, the opportunities we give our um, prospective students and students um, to, to explore and experience um, that, that, that array of opportunities to meet people from different backgrounds themselves. So I think... I think it's I think it's really big, but then our, our challenge is to ensure how can we as institutions be able to um, uh, uh, facilitate and allow that to happen. Mm. I suppose if you look, thinking then, Mark, of, of different, I suppose different parts of the process when you think of, of universities, and and I guess some of the things you've just been talking about there are very much you know once students have arrived with us, they're with us, and you know how are they engaging? How are we ensuring that? You know, we're we're trying to uphold the values that we hold dear, whilst also embracing you know the, the, the cultural norms and ideas of, of others too. But thinking more broadly of other parts of the process, then let's let's think thinking of let's say the beginning of the recruitment journey. How do how do you I mean where you are now, or even where you've been in other roles, um, encourage that diversification? early on in the recruitment pipeline, let's say, you know, so trying to, to, to bring other students from different parts of, of the world, different parts of our countries with different perspectives into the universities that you've been in. Yeah, and I think I think it starts with strategy at the risk of sounding terribly business and boring. Um, if you start, if, and certainly my, I'll, I'll probably bring Brad, Bradford as a good example of this. We, we, we had a real challenge at Bradford with student numbers. They, they'd reduced by... 50, 60, 70% over a number of years. And, and, and it was a real big challenge for us. And one of the things we made sure we set out is um, in consultation, obviously, with, with faculties um, themselves, but we set about making sure we had a sufficiently wide enough set of target countries we wanted to attract students from. But but it had to be it had to be manageable so we could spread the you know the the, the the finite resource that we have available and and our, our remembering there we, we started off with what we called five gold and, and ten silver countries 
and, and actually, um, as, we, as we went through the process, we, we established that it was important to recognise that certain countries, we had to invest more, um, more money and resource. And we had to recognise that, that um, at the risk again of using business language, we had to recognise that our cost, our cost per acquisition, if you like, in, in certain countries was going to be higher than others. And I think since, and that, and that was when, when times were tough and this was when we didn't have the post-study work visa, now the challenge is even more stark, I think, for universities where you've got a whole bunch of universities getting masses of students from Nigeria, from, from India, in Pakistan, Bangladesh at the moment has gone crazy in terms of the numbers. Um, yeah, and, and, it, and it, the danger, I think, for all institutions is to fall into the trap of thinking that's easy and we just carry on doing that. And you've got to work harder at the others. And I know certainly um, my colleagues at, at AIU are doing that. And I know in other institutions through my role as chair of the University's Marketing Forum, they're all grappling with how you create how you make sure you put the right investment into those other countries. I mean, I, I've heard all sorts of horror stories of, you know, 90-odd percent of cohorts of postgraduate business students being from one part of India. And, of course, you can't have diversity. There's no way there is diversity, and it, it doesn't help anyone. And so I, I think I think the real, the real challenge is, is being proactive, like we were at Bradford, at saying we're prepared to accept the cost of bringing a student from, say, I don't know, Thailand or Vietnam is going to be higher than just relying on those big countries. Of course, the other challenge, with the irony of it all is, and obviously when I was at Swansea, it was in the pandemic when I was there, and, and we, were, we were in conversation with the universities like Cardiff and, and Bristol, who were really quite scared at the prospect of Chinese students not coming to the UK. And so you're seeing this kind of dip-off. You're seeing a change in terms of Russell groups where the dip-off of, of, of Chinese students is coming, which they've been relied upon. But I think fundamentally at the core, it's strategy that sets out to be absolutely determined that you create the diversity through the strategy and getting that right at the start. And I suppose then on that note, um, Chris, and um, uh, sorry, Mark, and I'll hand to Chris in a, in a second, but if therefore you've got that as your strategy, have you got that as your measure and your target when you're looking at measuring the KPIs? Because I, I, I know that and that's certainly that's something I've talked about over the years. You know, very often we'll have a, a, a measure and a target for the numbers of students we want to be trying to attract. But we don't necessarily say that there's only got to be X from certain types of countries. Do you have that diversification target in as well? Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I know certainly um, when we started that at Bradford, that was quite clear. And I know um, we're, we're doing the same now. And that's the conversation I've had with other colleagues. Um, because I think I think now, it, it, at the risk of being trite about it, I think it's slightly easier now because there are so many students currently coming from those big countries that it's it's potentially easier to do, it's easier to do that because, um, and, and actually the feedback we get is driving it as well to say that we must have, we must set targets for other countries because um, it's not sustainable having 90% of students coming from, not even just, like I say, not even just India, just one part of India. 
And as, um, as you say as well, though, the, the experience then for those students is not something that they will be expecting. And that's quite right, isn't it? You know, you don't yeah. want to well, we, the UK we, to we study did. to be sitting, you know, with a group of students who were just down, lived just down the road from you. Well, I remember the great fondness at Bradford. I don't know whether they do it in other countries, but every year the international students turned up. We asked them to come in their international, their their, lo their local cultural dress, and we took them to the um, the city hall, and then they met the Lord Mayor, who is in all their finery. Mm -hmm. But we got them to do. They, we got them to kind of parade and have a, have an event at, on campus first, so all students could um, could experience it themselves. And it was quite a spectacular event, and. And it was it was really quite powerful to see it, to see everyone you know from from their country in in their dress, and and celebrating it in in, in all those ways. And then it, it translated into things like events around food. Um, and I know I did talk to a lot of UK students about it. They loved it too because they loved the concept of being international themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think you know it it, it 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 it's really important, and and it has. You know, I know, I know, I know. Obviously, um, Universities Wales has the, has a campaign, and they target particular countries, and they're using their kind of economic and tourism and inward investment as a as a vehicle to then, you know, I, I guess encourage universities like yours and others to to also think diversification in its widest sense. That's right. That's exactly right, Mark. We might come back to that in a moment, but Chris, I know you wanted to. Jump in there. Yeah, no, th uh, thanks, Judith. Um, yeah, really interesting stuff, Mike. I was just it, a couple of things struck me as as you were as you were talking. Then one, that the very last one was um, the disparity sometimes in in international cultural days because we run them routinely at my university in Dubai, which is a British university, but you know is is a by definition a very multicultural place, just like the the Emirate. Um, and my colleagues are fantastically dressed, and I'm in basically a shirt and tie it's it's you know i have a bowler hat and that's about the only uh, the only sort of <laughs> slight um cultural um but um what i was curious about and and i think your the example you gave about the international events sort of goes some way to explain it but i, I was curious for your reflections on on how diversity is measured because a, a lot of the explanation you know, is, is number driven, right? You know, it's, we have a, a dominance from a particular country or a particular region. Um, and, you know, therefore diversification is about having different numbers from different places. But obviously we know that that doesn't necessarily create a diverse or a diverse experience for the people. It simply creates a, a different line on a piece of paper that says we are now more diverse than we were because we have two different types of people instead of one different type of person. But, you know, that's not necessarily... Uh, and I like the point you're saying about, you know, the, the UK students, perhaps their sense then of being part of an international environment. Um, and, and that obviously is a metric of, of... It's a difficult one to demonstrate, but it is a metric of diversity and internationalization. I was just, you know, really interested to hear what your, your thoughts were on... Because it's, it's sometimes a tension, right? It's between, the, as you say, the business language of what we're trying to do to grow and protect, you know, our, our numbers. And then there's the sort of the the pedagogy community, you know, people aspect um, on the inside. I'm just, I'm just interested to see what you, you reflected on, on that. I, I, I think, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a marketeer um, at heart. And so, 
and, and I'm, a, I'm a customer management guy at heart and, and in fact you know um, confused.com was predicated and set up on the basis of being absolutely driven by customer and so the start point always is getting students to articulate their version of what diversity and inclusion means to them and we're doing a lot of that work at the moment we're working with a company called Inclusion Works who's doing a whole load of work with us on how we articulate ourselves from a brand and marketing perspective and our communications. Um, so we can, we can, for those students who are thinking about coming to us, articulate who we are and what we stand for, but then we're using what students are currently saying about us to us and their reflection of that diversity. So I think whilst, tar- you're right, targets are a kind of a measure to get people to do stuff and agents to do stuff and getting paid money. Fundamentally, um, it's about what the students are telling us about their experience of diversity and inclusion. And in fact, we've just recently at ARU appointed a, a guy r- r- running our ADI. Um, and, um, you know, he's absolutely crystal clear about how we've got to get the voice of our audiences, staff and students, actually. I mean, we've been focusing on students here, but it, it's how it's how they all re- uh, and they can all reflect back to us how that experience is, because that then allows us to do the things that we need to do. I had an interesting conversation the other day with my communications team about. Um, so, so I, I, I I'll share this. I I had I had a, a Jewish friend of mine who knows what I do commented that the university had not made but to tweet out about Passover. So I innocently asked the question, why didn't we? Um, and actually what's interesting is we, um, we at the moment are not necessarily um, um, representing on social media religious festivals per se. What we're doing is we're picking particular cultures, particular diverse cult, uh, cultures um, and at the moment, we've been running a whole piece on Ramadan about people from an Islamic faith and what they have to deal with in Ramadan. And I thought it was a really interesting um, take on it, that we are we're taking people's cultures and religions and reflecting back about the experiences of people through that. Mm. I mean, we talked about football, football earlier on. I mean, football matches for the last few weeks, there's been a break in the game to reflect the fact that um, there's a breaking of the fast. So um, um, footballers of Islamic faith can actually take some water and, and, and juice on. And I think it, it, it's really good that we're, we're thinking really maturely about amplifying other people's cultures. And that's gone down really well um, with, with, our, with our audiences because it allows us to have that. What we're trying to do here is create empathy. That's mm. the fundamental. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what, you know, if, if everyone's empathetic to everyone else's culture, that 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 drives a culture of diversity and its in, 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 in inclusivity in our thinking, and then we can use that, obviously, with our business hats on, and go, well, actually, this is what our audience are telling us. Oh. So I, it's really com- it's, it, and one level it's really complex, and on another level it's quite simple. No, I mean, yes, I think that's that's absolutely right. If I can, I maybe follow up with something, Judith. And I don't know if this is something that we would have looped back to later. But 
it puts me in mind of conversations um, you and I have had, Judith, about values and, and exporting values and, and what that means for identity. Um, so I, I worked uh, for a British branch campus in Southeast Asia uh, for almost nine years. And the perception of a strong majority of our students was that all people that taught them would in some way or other look like me, essentially a, a white male because it's the, the perceived stereotype of Britain, England, whatever you want to, to conflate. Um, and it was associated with uh, an understanding of what, what Britishness was, what quality was, what, what they were paying for, essentially. Um, and of course, you try to explain to people, well, well Britain's multicultural and, and diverse in and of itself. So actually, everybody looks like what they look like, right? That's just the way the, the country's currently built. Um, and I, we, Judith and I have, have touched on this quite a few times about, you know, when a, when a, a university is engaged in, in internationalization or T&E, whether it's full campus or partnerships or, or programs abroad, you know, how you, you straddle that line between the branding of what your identity is at home and what your identity is abroad. Because obviously there are certain things you cannot do abroad that are sacrosanct at home. And, and that's, a, that's a very challenging I was going to say line to cross, that's not right, but it's a very challenging thing to navigate. And so I'm, given your marketing experience, I was, you know, just curious how you, maybe not navigated, but what your thoughts are on, on, on that challenging reality. Because it doesn't take away from one, or shouldn't, but it, in, in some cases they're obviously in, in almost direct competition when you're trying to create empathy, but actually the thing that you're being empathetic about is not something you can, you can acknowledge somewhere else. And, and that becomes a, an, an unusual reality, right? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I was just smiling as you were saying that. But, but I mean, there's always, there's always this talk about British values. Yeah, right. Or what are British values, you know? Yeah. And how are they different to other people's values? We then had the challenge with the Qatar um, Football World Cup. Um, I mean, I... I mean, I'll talk personally first. I mean, I, I work on the principle that wherever I go in the world, I understand as much about the cultural reference and what the rules and the laws are. So I will not be spitting out chewing gum on the streets of Singapore because I know that I'll get into trouble doing that, yeah? Yeah. Um, and, and there are other things in other countries. So, and I make the choice to go to that country. And I think, I think that, so, 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 so we have to work on the principle that people come to the UK to study, there's a sense of, there's a sense of laws and mm. rules and regulations you have to fit into. But it's we feel probably in the UK that we're as we're as wide in that, 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 that there's less restrictions. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I think the challenge comes when universities go and put universities or put campuses in other places like where you are. Yeah, and it's then how you how you can represent the values of your institution in that country, and I think that's a more complex. Um, is a more complex set of things one needs to think through. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of universities at the moment thinking about TNE in countries where, you know, certain segments of demography um, um, cannot behave the way they do in the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, que the question we all have to ask ourselves is, well, okay, um, one is the institution to be able to work in that place. Two, how can we ensure that as much of our value set with those constraints can still be applied mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that that 
that is a challenge. But as you pointed out, you know, no, no one person's no one person's the same. Um, so if we have a broad, set, I mean, I, 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 I joined ARU actually because I absolutely believed in the six core values that they have, and they live and breathe them. And I've been there nearly a year, and it's the best decision I ever made. And and people talk about them. Hmm. And uh, and and they talk about them not in the context of it being on the wall. It's in the context of how we can live, live the way the organisation works. So. What you'll never have, of course, is everyone standing up singing the company song. Certainly not academics, because academics are brand me, uh, Judith. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and for good reason, academics are brilliant at br what they do, because they are brand me. But there's a kind of, there's a framework and way of doing things that we, we try and encourage people to, to abide by. But it's, it's, um, you know, of course, there are always examples of, on campus when students have come from an international setting and come to the UK, and they might not quite, quite get it right in the first instance. Um, but it's the, the real thing for me is empathy. I mean, there's a great Bill Bullard quote about empathy. The opinion is the lowest form of human knowledge because it requires no understanding of other people's perspectives. Um, empathy is the highest form of human knowledge because it requires you to suspend reality and stand in someone else's shoes. That's large. That's largely the sentiment, and so if we start on the pretext that we're getting every, every everyone, staff, students, partners, to be empathetic to each other, I think that's a pretty good start point. I know that sounds very lofty, Chris, but it, it, I, I generally think if we start from the position of being empathetic, then you know values and the way where we all fit together can flow. Just a, um, a question on your on the, on the values, and can you could you summarise for us what the values of ARU are? Yeah, so um, so it, uh, integrity, responsibility, and community are right at the core of who we are. Yeah, and and I and I feel and see it every day. Um, you know, we have our executive team meetings every week, and it's and, and it feels that's the way that is the way we are, where we operate. Um, I know I was partly brought in because the three other ones are about um, ambition, um, courage and innovation. Now we do lots of innovative stuff. We could probably be a bit more courageous and, um, and, and, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of pushing the limits of that in terms of what I do and, and I'm encouraged to do it, which is a good thing as a senior person and I encourage my teams to do that. So I, I've, I've categorised them in two ways because they're, 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 they're two different sets, if that makes sense. But I don't think they're contradictory. I think you can allow people to be courageous as long as they you know, respect the fact that we do have a community. We want them to show integrity when they're doing it and take responsibility when they're making big, tough decisions. Um, so you can see I feel it, you know, um, and, yeah. and all my colleagues do. I mean, we've had some fantastic senior sessions. Um, my COO organised it for all the professional services folks and we all ended up telling our story about how we ended up at ARU and what was really powerful is that we'd all had some discrimination in our lives and we've all found our way to a place which we, we feel is home and I and I in my career found that quite rare for, for it to be that 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 powerful yeah. for me um, so yeah 
So I can I can sing the company song when it comes to values. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely can, yeah. But it is it is in it's interesting though. Well, I find it interesting that the equality, diversity, and inclusion aspects of what you stand for as well at ARU aren't part of the values. Is, was no. that was that a conscious decision? Well, not to because very often you will get inclusivity, won't you, as part of the values yeah. set? Well, inclusivity sits over inclusion and inclusivity sit over all of it. I mean, you'll, you'll see it weaved into our, some of our strategic words, but it was interesting because um, I did have that conversation when I first joined. And, um, I mean, I, you know, risk of, uh, if, if, if my vice chancellor gets to hear this, I mean, he's, he's a man that absolutely lives the values and believes in inclusivity. And you can see it just, it just permeates the organisation. Mm. Um, and, but that kind of, it's a kind of, it oversees all of it. I mean, like some of the, I mean, you could end up wordsmithing some of these things, but yeah. um, it, 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 it fits into everything we do. Like I say, you know, I, I went and I found this company called Inclusion Works that are just amazing, who are doing youth site panels, who are properly putting a mirror up to us about how we do our marketing communications. So people from all, you know, all backgrounds. And it's really, really powerful because, um, we, the, the, the culture of the organisation is encouraging that. Now, of course, I worked at Bradford as well. I mean, I remember going from Bradford to Swansea. Very different demographies. The cities are completely different. Mm. You know, um, in, in some respects, when I arrived at Swansea, I, I've been at Bradford for seven years, and I had to kind of take a deep breath myself because I felt... <laughs> I mean, you're from kind of the, the Midlands, like myself. Um, I was used to me being a minority, in Bradford, uh, whereas I come to Swansea, it was it was it flipped, and um, you know Cambridge, Chelmsford, Peterborough, they're all different places too where we are. Um, but it's it, it's it's we we're really doing we really do encourage it, and I think the people we attract allow it to happen. It's really interesting what you're saying, Mark, because, I mean, in, in, in many ways, it, it does, I think, as Chris has said, go to the heart of the kind of things we've been, talk, we've been writing about in our latest book, you know, on the evolving nature of universities and looking particularly about aspects of identity. And it sounds to me as though those people of you that now have, have sort of gravitated in many ways towards ARU have found somewhere where you feel that there's an identity that you are at home with and part of and and feel comfortable with and can help shape. Yet, yet every people are very... It doesn't mean you're, everybody's exactly the same, but it means that you've got that kind of an identity maybe in the institution that is is welcoming of, of, of all different people from all different parts of the world. Well, I get, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm always open about myself. You know, I, I, one of the stories I told is that I was adopted at the age of two months from a Catholic Glaswegian mother, quote unquote, rejected at birth. Um, I was discriminated against at the age of 11 plus. I took the 11 plus, didn't get into grammar school. And it turns out there were quotas for Catholics. And then in my latter life, in my second marriage, we had two stillbirths. Now, all those things. That we're involved in some way, shape, or form in terms of research or or the campaigning we do or our access and participation plan. 
I'm kind of allowed to get involved in those scenes because I'm really passionate about them because they affected me. And I, and I do see that in a lot of the people I engage with. And that's really powerful. In, in, in many ways, we're allowed, to, we're allowed to follow our passions. I think that's the thing, you know. And, and so I'm always open about these things because then I end up getting involved and invited to talk about things. And, you know, the nursing and midwifery folks wanted me to, to have a conversation with them. That's brilliant because the culture allows that to happen. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier on as well, particularly when we're looking at our students and, you know, and encouraging that within our students, that we're providing an environment and a platform where we can learn from others, we can learn from people who have got very different views to our own. And it doesn't mean that some things are right and some things are wrong. It just it, it's that you have an empathy for some of the views that other people have, but also that everybody brings their own experiences to the table, don't they, which naturally shape who they are and, and how they look at things. Well, one of the, I joined the sector in 2009, so I'd come from commerce, as you've, as you've um, articulated at the start, and one of the first senior people I'm, I met, an academic actually, um, we were having a conversation over a bit, and he, he, he said to me, what well, I've had, had two definitions of a university, and one of them's entertaining. He said, universities are places for debate, discourse and disagreement without fear or favour. And, and it, it stuck with me, and it stuck with me forever. The, the other um, um, response was from a, a chap. Well, I, I had to look after the theatre of the mill in Bradford, and he was the artistic director. And he said, he said um, universities are um, a bunch of warring factions held together loosely by a car parking policy. Um, they're, they're, two very, they're two very different takes on it. But I think the first one is absolutely spot on. If we can create that environment where that we're allowed to have tense conversations and we're allowed to disagree but there's no consequences for disagreeing and debating um other than at some point someone has to make the decision yeah and i guess as well it's about in having the conversations and you and i have talked about this and in, in subjects that we don't agree yeah. about um, yeah. it is that you know you you listen to other people's points of view and you you still might not completely change what your view is about something but actually you know you're open to to those discussions you're open to listening because you might change your opinion because who, who are we who are any of us individually to be so arrogant as to think that what we think of is a hundred percent right and correct all the time you know it is about listening to to others isn't it uh, yeah. sorry sorry um, judith you know. sorry sorry mark to interrupt sorry judith who are we to think that we're right we're academics. I'm sorry. I think you're you're you've gone confused again. Like that's that, that's our job description. I know. Sorry. I've yeah. Lost it. Yeah. I've lost it. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. I didn't well, mean to interrupt. Is, I mean, I, yeah. I need to remind myself who I am. Someone said to me once, "Was it people that are interested are interesting?" And that also stuck with me. And 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 I remember my friends in in finance and business and insurance when they heard I was going to university, they all laughed at me because they said they don't need to do marketing. And back in 2009, UK universities weren't really doing it. The most important thing for me when I joined City University of London was to go to the Vice-Chancellor with three copies of the front, front cover of the prospectus. That was marketing, yeah? And then he, and it was usually he at the time, made the decision. Of course, the wrong target audience, completely wrong. So now we do do marketing. But, you know, I they don't, they're not laughing at me now because the... the, the I, I can indulge myself as a marketeer 
with all the incredible things that we do. And I arrived at AIU that had a spectacular ref, and I was given this gift from God of of, of all of all this amazing stuff. And we're now building that into our proposition. You know, I mean, just I mean, I could I could I'm, I'm not going to, but but there's a whole bunch of things, and I know Swansea certainly do. Yeah, I'm sure your institution does the same. Because it's it, um, it's just a license to be interested. And I encourage all my professional service colleagues to do the same. You know, go and try and find every day something that there's some academics doing somewhere that's spectacular. Or even not an academic, someone from the States. You know, University of Bradford has more bees than any other university in the, con- in the country, apparently. There you go. Huh. That's a stat for you. But, but it's about yeah, the license to be interested, yeah? Yeah. Um, and I, I that's that's going to get tweeted at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the estates team will love me. I mean, I used to run a radio show uh, called Paul Life of the University and Beyond in Bradford, and I'd get one minute high end academics who discovered Durrington Walls, uh, archaeologists, and then the, the next week I'd have the estates team in or the cleaners in. And, it, and it, it was just brilliant because they've all got a story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. From the porter to the, to the professor, as the phrase is used. And, and that's that's why I think I generally do think universities are utterly unique compared to any other sector. Really I think are. that's a. I, I mean, and, and maybe I'll, I'll come back and just ask you about some of your thoughts, um, given all of the other places you've worked in, you know, prior to coming to to university. But but just to, to on that point, just for another moment. I mean, that's what always strikes me when I go to open days. Um, yes, there does need to be a really excellent taste of lecture that somebody's giving in the subject that you want to study, be it applied linguistics or international relations or what, whatever it might be, or classics or, or, or mathematics. Um, but actually, the really important thing as well is, is when, you, when you get off the train at the train station, how are you going to get to where you're going to get to, are you walking there, are you taking the bus, if you're going to take on the bus, what are they like on the bus, what's the environment like when you arrive and you get to the university or the college that you're in, you know, who do you bump into, what does the place look like, you know, people smiling, you know, what the, what the ground's like, um, it's, it's absolutely everything is important, isn't it, and, and I think probably just what we don't do enough, across in any walk of life, actually not, not as a criticism of universities, but it's, it's let people realise that everybody is important in the process. You know, you like, well, you, I, used, I used to use the, the example of a watch, you know, that the watch, if you open it up, has all of these little cogs and different things. You might have a fancy face on the front of it. But, well, I'm not sure you can use that anymore because technology has probably gone beyond that kind of thing. But the point is, everybody's important, aren't they? Every single person, every single person's got a story um, and has got an equal value to things to bring to the table, and we need to make sure we're celebrating that. Well, um, two things. One, obviously, your journey. Universities, in some way, shape, or form, have been involved in the whole of that journey in some sort of research, you know, engineering. The, 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 I mean, I, I, I've, been look, I've been grappling with this with ARU because obviously in, Ch- in, in Cambridge there is, a, there is another university in Cambridge other than ARU. I just need to make you aware of this. Chris. Um, oh, no, okay. And, um, I, I, but they're further I, down the I, alphabet, I right? Google it later. Yeah, they're further down the alphabet. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. 
<laughs> I sit and think, well, um, you know, if I sat next to, um, I don't know, the Cambridge Don in next to King's College, and then we got chatting, and they maybe looked down their nose at me because I said, hey, how are you? I was thinking, what's my response? And my, my response would be something on the lines of, well, we... We teach more nurses, we train more nurses in any university in the country. We've got more degree apprenticeships with the police force, so if you get burgled, um, if you go to the theatre, I mean, I could go through all the list of things, the fabric of society, and a lot of universities are like that. They're in community, and particularly, look, COVID showed it, and I saw that writ large at Swansea, that universities were in community, like football clubs, I know, but they were in community and they were doing good things. The staff and the students, if they could, were doing great things in 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 society, in society, and so I think you know that that bit there is important that you know we we recognise we have we, we we touch pretty much everything, don't we? You know, universities have had some involvement in most facets of people's lives, and I, and I think um, you know if we can we can recognise that, that's great. And and you know, I, one thing I do remember about my vice chancellor at um, at um, the University of Bradford, Professor Brian Cantor is, you know, a high-end physical scientist, alloy named after him, seriously bright man. But every day I know, he used to get in early, he would talk to the cleaners, he would talk to the receptionists, yeah? In fact, um, I, I, I was at a dinner a few weeks ago and um, maybe I'm outing this before it happens, but Nick, I was next to Nick Hillman, and I said to him, I, I'm on, my, on to my 11th Vice-Chancellor. And he said, write me a blog, <laughs> anonymise it, <laughs> about the skills and maybe not the skills, yeah. if, if that's a word, a phrase, and about Vice-Chancellors. And I think the, the, the important thing is, is that the culture is, is, comes very much from the top. Uh, and, and, you know, um, Brian and Roderick are very different characters, but they've got, you know, this, 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 this skill of being interested and, 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 and therefore being interesting and that, that pervading um, the, the organisation. Yeah, and, and valuing and respecting others, yeah. I think, yes. don't they? You yes. know, I think certainly yeah. we do have that in Paul Boyle at, at Swansea, 100%. for sure. 100%. You know, yeah. uh, and you, could, you can just as easily be going to, to listen to him give a give the opening lecture on on open day or if you're there at the end of opening open day you might see him around by the side of Fulton House get ready to you know put his cycle clips on as he gets on the Santander bike to to cycle back to his home you know an ordinary person doing doing a job and valuing other people one thing I would like to just pick up a little bit more, though, and with, with, that, with the risk of potentially getting a little bit political here, but maybe not too much, is we've been talking about the importance of universities in the community and in society and how they're valued. And you can probably see where this is going, Mark. But I think it's probably safe to say that universities have had a bit of bad press, haven't they, over the last little while and haven't had the greatest relationship you know, with areas in government or things like, you know, that, those aspects. Or, or indeed maybe just communicating to others in society the, the value that universities do have. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, some of the challenges there, but maybe some of the opportunities and some of the things where things have, um, have improved. Yeah, I think... Um, so I was at, um, I was at an event... Um, a few weeks back at UK, 
where there was a bunch of the kind of mission groups and bodies that were looking at research and and there was a piece of work being carried out about um, how we how we get a sense of what society thinks about research and innovation hmm. which I thought was a really and I got asked to go by my um, my um, deputy vice chancellor for research and innovation and it was fascinating because what, one of the things that was coming out of the research is that at the moment particularly because there's so many tough things going on in the world that there's a hierarchy of interest yeah mm. so at the moment there's a sense of um you know cost of living um you know uh, dominating the, the average person's mindset rather than research and innovation um so i think uh, but i did feel in the i did feel i genuinely did feel in the in the pandemic that and I know it was helpful having scientists up in front of TV every day. And I was at Swansea at the time, as you know, um, Judith. I, I genuinely felt there was a sense of empathy towards universities because they people could now start to see some of the impact they were having on their lives. Yeah, yes. and it was writ large. So I think I think the challenge is how you carry that forward. And I think this session I went to was having that conversation. When it comes to politics and government, well, as we know, and you know, this is this is the political challenge. And whoever um, is the next government um, next year will have to grapple with the same thing. If you continue to have the same fee year after year for your UK students, and you have to grow by ten percent in terms of your revenue, it forces universities to make what I will be politely call suboptimal decisions around around doing stuff and so um so i think that's a big challenge but again i think there's a that because we're in this you know you look at some of the economics that's come out yesterday we're going to be in this tough situation whether we're in a recession or not and government agenda is is is, is going to be grappling with well what's my priority yeah and unfortunately um you know, you've got to, you only look at the strikes that are going on right now. You've got, you know, people are probably naturally thinking, oh, you were nurses first and now junior doctors yesterday, uh, t today, but UCU possibly that people's thinking's down the list. Yeah. And so I think we're going to have, whoever's in government with, a, with, with, you know, not much money around, um, there's going to be a, there's going to be a challenge. Of course, you know, um, it would be great if we were part of Horizon when it comes to research. Yeah? Um, we might have to be creative in the way we look at alternative funding, and that's going to be the way it's going to be for the next five to ten years. Um, but I think, I, I hope that we can collectively find a way, certainly in the minds of, of you know, the population of, of, of our country, that people continue to recognise the role that universities play in society. And I think we can do that as a group. We can do it through Universities UK. I can do it through my body, Case Europe Universities Marketing Forum. I'm still trying to do a piece of research, get, get it off the ground, uh, the relationship between football clubs and universities in community and what role they played in community. I know Swansea sponsors Swansea City. Um, I happened to be back there a few weeks ago watching my team actually beat them in the 97th minute. But I, I remember <laughs> my son kept going to me, Dad, University of Swansea's all over here. So you've got that at one end, and you've got then universities 
sponsoring stadia, but then you've got universities working with football clubs actually in community in, in a kind of outreach sort of way. So I think the more we can do of that, that brings these big scary places called universities into communities. I mean, we've got a number of things. We've got a whole bunch of clinics from breastfeeding clinics to law clinics to business clinics, you name it, uh, or eye clinic. Um, when, you, when you package these things up, and lots of universities have these things, that actually people in, people in society can see that, that we're actually doing good. You know, we charge a quid for meals at lunchtime. We, we've said as an executive team, anyone from the city uh, in Chelmsford can come, or, or Cambridge can come in and have a, a one-pound meal. Why not? Why not? Actually, universities certainly are much more open these days, aren't they? And actually, yes. literally, physically open that you're there, you can be on the campus, you can be taking part in things in the campus. And I suppose also what, what does strike me when you say that, Mark, too, is, is the responsibility on universities to communicate what, yeah. what, what we are doing, but also what we can do and and that, that we're there for the, the community around us. I mean, I can't let those comments around your team and Swansea go past without <laughs> just mentioning the league itself. For those of you looking at the championship, we will be looking, we're still looking down on you, it would appear, but, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Going back, though, to the sport, um, I think you did quite well to, to, to last until this point without mentioning the, the, the dreaded B word, um, but um, but we do also work, as you know, we work very closely, for example, as well with the rugby team in yep. uh, know, in, yep. in Swansea, as well as of course in uh, in Clenetley. Um and I myself am on the board of Ospreys in the community, you know, and the kind of wonderful work that 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 those individuals do and borders and the team you know the people across teams the people across the university do working there in the in the community is really you know it's, it's utterly in, inspiring but very often the things that we're saying when we go we have meetings or we go to events is we need to shout about this more and we need to get more people seeing the kind of things that are happening because it's really helping shape and develop um yeah. you know people's lives and, 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 and I know a number of universities are, have got their, their own civic missions and, and we've got a civic engagement approach. Mm. Interesting, we've had conversations about the word civic, um, but, but fundamentally, when we start unpicking the things that we do, we need to make sure that, as you've said, that everyone understands that we are playing a role, we're playing our role in society, in, in our mission. You know, economically we do. I think we always used to work on the principle that one and a half times the, the, the turnover of a university was the impact it had on the local community. So you turn over 100 million, you have an impact of 150 million on, on a city and town. The danger will be if, um, you know, and, and there are now, and I'm not going to be going into naming names, but we, we know there's some public examples at the moment of universities that are having some real financial challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the devastation it would reap in, in, in towns and cities up and down our country of, of one university cities, of universities going under, would be catastrophic. And, and we can't allow that to happen. So, you know, if we, if we find ourselves in that situation, then that's where politics does need to come to the fore and, and they need to address it because, you know, you, you can imagine, you know, I'm picking places, I mean, my alma mate is Aberystwyth. If Aberystwyth didn't have a university, yeah. That town would die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cumbria, Carlisle, 
I guess similar, you know. Whole, you, you, you know. So, 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 so that the whole funding model piece, which is not a subject for today, needs to be addressed because um, you know we, we've got to play our civic role, but also our economic role. Absolutely, Mark. Absolutely, couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. And as you say, maybe that can be something for another conversation for us to have. I do have one final question. I don't know whether, Chris, you've got a question you'd like to ask Mark before I launch into our final one. No, no, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. I, I really like the that sort of final sentiment about, and it comes back to what we've talked about in the past. You know, what what is the civic? mission or responsibility of a university and, and it's at the heart of what is a university for you know is it for people is it for information is it for like what does it what's it supposed to do and where does it get its identity from and, and i think that that notion of a physical where is it and who are the people in it and around it and walking through it and and that's i think it's something we we should be talking about more and exactly the same like we should be making it more visible you know, it's it's not the town and gown. It's 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 a part of the fabric of the life of everybody that intersects it. And and I think that's a. So all I've done is just paraphrase it to make myself sound smarter than I am. But I I fully agree with your with your point. Um, to be fair, Judith and I did did write about this a few months ago. But uh, um, the the one very minor question I I had um, before before Judith gives you the, <laughs> the major question. And, and I ask this because we, we've asked this of a few a few guests, and you, I think you have the, uh, probably quite a unique perspective on this. Particularly, you also have the marketing um, uh, savvy. You've talked about the definitions of what a university is. Do you have any sense of what the collective noun for a group of academics should be? Yeah, that's good. Um, that's a good one. <laughs> Just a sigh. Well, I come, I come, it's probably not a very intelligent response, but, 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 it, but in many ways, the, it's my point about people being interested, being interesting. If you, if you, and it, it doesn't sound particularly sexy in any way, but when you pull together the work that academics do yeah, and the breadth of it, it's a smorgasbord. There you go. All right, Ooh. that's nice. Oh, that's no, nice. There we go. That, I, I, I felt under pressure to be intelligent, Chris. You did um, a smorgasbord. No, no. There you go. Smorgasbord of <laughs> academics. Mark Garrett, I think you've gone to the top of the board. Yeah. <laughs> for what we might have at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No, that's that's excellent. Judith's um, was um, the was the very savvy debate a debate of academics. Mine was the slightly more cynical an argument of academics. Um, smorgasbord, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've, I think it's one, one you, Judith, two and me, three at the moment. So, uh, of course, I, yeah. won't, I although I shouldn't yeah. really agree with you, really, on principle, right? I should be always accepting the other way around. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very <laughs> much for that. I like to have a debate about it. Exactly. But we don't end up happy at the end. <laughs> I've got a final question, Mark, just, but just to say thank you so much for joining us today as well. You know, it's... Um, there's been some fascinating discussions, I think particularly around the aspects of diversity and inclusion, which I think there's many, many more things we could talk about there too. Um, but I suppose fin finally, I, I just would like to ask you, I guess it's a small question in many ways, but it is the one I tend to like to end on. Um, but it's almost like, you know, what now? What now for us? What now for us in higher education? 
what do you think? And hopefully this will not be in five years' time. We'll talk to each other, you know, before then. But what do you yeah. think we might be chatting about in five years' time? What would you hope we might be chatting about in five years' time? Well, if I talk, um, if I talk about um, the UK first, so um, you will recall the current government or previous iterations of it talked about a high-wage, high-skill economy. Yet at the time, were um, kind of seemed fairly laissez-faire about you know ensuring growth in universities, certainly in terms of funding. If we look to South Korea, 70% participation, we're 40%. So I'd like to think we'll be talking about how we have found the mechanisms to have a greater participation of study and learning in universities and a much stronger engagement between what we call FE in this country and HE to ensure that we're absolutely in a place where we have this higher wage, high skill economy for everybody. Yeah? So everybody feels that, you know, they have that opportunity. Um, on a global stage, well, um, I guess we're probably going to be talking about, you know, Australia are back, the rise of China and Asian universities and um, we'll need to be talking about being selfish from this country um, about how the UK can still maintain its um, its position. Um, there was an interesting academic on the Today programme yesterday who, funny enough, from the University of Cambridge who said something that I hadn't quite realised that if, if Britain didn't have London, then we'd be one of the um, the poorest economies in the, in Europe. And that was quite stark for me to to hear that said in such a really simple soundbite. And so we've got to make sure we protect. This as we're protecting this, but we've got to protect our standing right across the university sector on the world stage. And that that's the competitive edge I'll end on there, Judy. That's the marketing near in me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you can't. You, you'll always have that marketeer as part of you, Mark, wherever, yeah. wherever you go and whatever you do. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining You're us welcome. today. We, um, it was wonderful talking to you. To say we ranged across so many different areas, but I thought particularly the aspects around diversity and inclusion were really fascinating. So hope to talk to you about those and other areas further again in the future. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. Talk to you, Beth. Thank you very much.